summer, we have devoted our teaching times to go through the words of a man named Luke. And this man named Luke, he, he outlines and writes about the life and ministry of Jesus. And we stress throughout this entire series all summer that, that Luke is very unique. The other writers of the Gospels, those other three men who contribute their words about Jesus' life and ministry, they're all insiders. They're all believers. But the reason we're covering Luke this summer is because Luke wasn't an insider initially. He was an outsider. He didn't grow up in the faith, but later gave his life to Christ. And so with that in mind, he looks at things in a very unique sense. Uh, he, he writes with this very unique uh, approach, and he highlights a lot of moments in Jesus' life in vivid detail that the other writers, they simply left out because they're approaching Jesus' life from an entirely different perspective. And so as we near the end of our summer series together, we'll continue to highlight uh, some very unique moments in the book of Luke. And uh, we've only got two weeks uh, left in this series, and, and so today we're going to talk about uh, a certain moment in, in the, the death of Jesus, and then next week we're going to finish this uh, series up, and I'll... Uh, be finishing my preaching responsibilities up here uh, as we cover uh, the resurrection uh, of Jesus. And so all four books, all four gospels that pertain to Jesus' life, they, they, they do highlight his death and resurrection. But what we're going to talk about specifically today is, like I said, unique to the book of Luke. Uh, it's this moment in history that, that highlights this spiritual truth. And, and what it highlights, some of us really love. Some of us would say, I'm all for that. I'm a big fan of it. But what we're going to cover today, there's some people who are going to say, I, I just, I don't like that. I don't like that that's a spiritual truth. I don't think anyone's going to admit that. Uh, but some people aren't going to like what we talk about today, but some people are going to love it. Uh, what we're going to talk about today in the book of Luke, there's this one moment that tells us so much about faith and grace. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, some people, they, they hang on that. They say, I, I need that to be true in my life. And other people, they, they look at what Luke covers today and they're going to say, I just, I'm not a fan of that. It just doesn't seem fair to me. Now, if you want to follow along in your app or your Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Luke chapter 23. So if you want to follow along on your device or your Bible, you can kind of hover there. Uh, but I want to highlight first a little bit of what leads up to the, the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, for thousands of years, for thousands of years, uh, the Jews had hoped that, that God would send a savior. They had hoped that, that, that God would, would send a king, someone to rescue them from the oppression of the Romans. So much of their history, it pointed towards that moment when, when God would send their hero and their hero would arrive. They lived with great anticipation for when God would send their Messiah. And he did, right? He sent Jesus. But Jesus wasn't enough. He wasn't good enough for the Jews. Uh, the Jews, they, they waited forever for this man. And then he showed up on their doorstep and, and they just didn't think much of him. They didn't think he was who he said he was. Uh, they thought he was blasphemous. So, so they sought to eliminate him. The man that they waited for thousands of years to be in their midst was finally there. And after 33 years of his life, they were pleading to have him crucified. They wanted him eliminated. But, but, but the problem was, they didn't have enough power to do that on their own, no matter how much Jesus irked them. Right? It would be like your, your HOA, your, your homeowners association, trying to send you to jail because your landscaping is unkept. Right? It's just, the Jew, they can't do that. And, and the Jews didn't have enough authority to hand out the type of punishment that they wanted for Jesus. That the Jews didn't have enough power in their midst to punish Jesus to the extent that they wanted. And so they did what any angry crowd would do. They got in touch with their local politician. Uh, and his name was Pontius Pilate. And he actually served as the Roman governor of their local province. They thought, we can't do anything. We can't eliminate this guy. But let's reach out to the authority above us. Maybe Pontius Pilate can do something for us. So Luke tells us in, in verse 1 there of chapter 23... The entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they began to state their case. And here's what they said about Jesus. 
This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, the king. So they've waited thousands of years for their savior. They've waited thousands of years for their king. They've waited on this man. Their, Their whole history hangs on the hope he brings. And they try to ring him up on tax evasion. Seriously, this is how messed up their minds were about Jesus. But the pilot didn't buy it. Uh, he said, I find no fault in Jesus. He, he told the, the Jews, look, what you're basically asking me to do is, is insane. There, there's not enough reason to execute this man. But the Jews were persistent. And they go on and they, they go through, and you can follow it along if you want in Luke, but they, they say, well, if you find no fault in Jesus, one thing you have to know is that he's also causing riots. Now, this would have kind of raised the eyebrows a little bit to Pilate. To us, we think uh, maybe it's not a, a big deal, but it was to the Romans. Because the Romans, they ruled over this, this massive, massive territory, and it had more people in it than the Romans could suppress or defeat if they all became angry at once, if they all decided to revolt and riot. And so anyone who, who's causing problems or inciting a mob was quickly dealt with by the Romans. And so Pilate thinks, okay, if he's starting a, these mobs, he writes, I'll do something about that. We're not going to execute him, but Pilate said, maybe we'll just give him a public beating, a flogging, and, and he'll learn his lesson, he'll be an example, and everybody will fall in line. But that wasn't enough for the Jews. The, the Jews were desperate. They wanted him to be crucified. They started chanting, crucify him. The, 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 the Jews, they, they were waiting for their savior to free them from Roman oppression, and now they're asking the Roman government to execute that same man. It's just incredibly, incredibly ironic. So as they kept getting more angrier and angrier and angrier, it became almost like, like a riot scene as you read through, through the Gospels. Now, this was bad news for the Romans, so, so finally Pilate agreed to fulfill their desire and said, well, fine, we'll, we'll put him to, to death on the cross. And so Luke tells us then that there's two, two others. Uh, both criminals were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a, a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified one on his right, and one on Jesus' left. Now, Luke doesn't specify uh, what, what crimes these, these two were guilty of. Matthew and Mark say they were rebels or robbers. And, and a lot of folks believe, a lot of historians believe, the reason that, that Jesus, when you read about his trial, it just happened so fast. that It's just, it seemed like in a matter of moments that, that he went from being drugged into in front of a, basically a crooked court and, and executed, and it did happen fast. The, the Romans didn't do crucifixions every day. Um, the reason why they didn't do it every day is because it was like, uh, sickly, it was like an event. And you'd crucify people who did wrong, and, and people would come out and, and throw stones at them and sticks at them. And uh, it was used as kind of almost an event to scare people into order. That's how the Romans kept their, their power, was just flat-out fear. And so Jesus, uh, it seems like to, to most historians that, that he was just let out because he said, hey, we're, we got an event today, we're crucifying people today, let's go ahead and drag him out there too. And so all three, Luke says, were led out to this place um, called Golgotha, which means the skull. And, and, and there's, a, there's a picture uh, of it. And do we have that picture? And you can kind of see with the nose kind of in the right and the eyes, it, and it looks like a skull. That's why they called it Golgotha. And uh, it was an incredibly just scary, daunting area that was just outside of the city gates. And they do it just outside the Jerusalem gates. So people passing by or traveling by would say, we know what happens when you do wrong, when you commit a crime in this area. And so, so that, this outside with that being kind of the backdrop is where Jesus was crucified. And so while hanging there on a cross, Luke tells us, this is mind-blowing to me, 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I read that in kind of a a whole new light this week. Um, and, And I've got minimal stress in my life, but I know of a lot of people who are going through a really tough time and and I don't know about you, but, but I don't think much of other people when I'm suffering. It's all about me. I think all of us would agree it's really hard to love people at times, even when we're just inconvenienced. When things aren't going well, it, it's really hard to look past how we're feeling and, and really love people because the focus is naturally on us. And, and it's hard to love people through those moments where we're just being annoyed or we're suffering, uh, there's inconvenience. Um, uh, th- there are people who won't even so- show waiters or waitresses grace. If it's taking too long for their food, they won't even love them. And yet here's Jesus, and and he's loving the people who are torturing him. He says, Father, forgive them as he's nailed to a cross. He's literally, as he's dying, he's caring for these people who are killing him. While dying for the, the, the sins of everyone who will put their faith in him, Jesus, in that moment, he's asking God to show grace and favor and forgiveness to, to the people who are torturing him and have no faith in him whatsoever. It's just an un, unbelievable act of love. And this week I read that and I thought, you know, if Christ can love like that through his pain, then any of us who claim to be his follower, if, if we have his spirit in our hearts, his spirit ruling our, our lives, if he can do that, then you and I are probably capable of, of so much more love than what we realize even when we're inconvenienced, even when we're going through pain, even when we're struggling. I think we would be surprised at at what we can do and how well we can love people with with God's power working through us, even when we don't feel our best, even when we're annoyed, even when we can't stand what's happening. If if Jesus can love like that and his spirit is in us, then then we can love people better through our pain too. It doesn't always have to be about us when, when we're suffering. I just, that, that jumped out to me a lot this week. And Luke continues, the, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, uh, the chosen one. Which is just very ironic, because if he saved himself, he wouldn't have fulfilled the destiny and offer saving grace uh, to, to everyone, including that mocking crowd. And it continues, the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. And the sour wine that they offered him, it was actually been kind of like a vinegar-like uh, taste, but it would have been uh, laced with narcotics. Um, they did this often to criminals to, to help n- numb the pain a little bit. Uh, but the way, if you really want to try to, and you're never going to outlast a crucifixion, but uh, you, you could actually, if they hadn't broken your ankles, you, you could press up and expand your lungs and, and breathe a little bit. And, and they'd often give criminals who are being crucified this, this drug uh, because they would just take the death so much faster. Uh, but but when you think about Jesus' death, and I know we do every week here at this church, it's, it's so important that we realize that, that Jesus could have numbed that pain for us. Uh, he, he could have quickened his, his death, but he, he didn't. He, he rejected it, uh, which means he, he felt every ounce of, of pain for us. He felt every second of, of, of pain for us as he, as he just hung below that, that sarcastic sign that said, the king of the Jews. What happens next is, is where I want to draw our attention and, and really apply it to our lives today. Uh, one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Uh, prove it by saving yourself. 
Uh, and us too, while you're at it. And this is the approach a lot of people take with Jesus. Uh, even some of us who are here watching online, this is the approach we, we take with Jesus. A lot of us, we're, we're, we're slowly dying in our sins and we're yelling at God to do something. Uh, but neglect to realize that God has already done something through Jesus. He, he's made a way. He's given us hope. But a lot of people who have not put their faith in Jesus are, or, or claim they do because their butts are in the seats or they're, or they're logged in. They maybe do all the right things, but inside they don't believe anything. A lot of people, it's because they're hoping and waiting for some miracle. Uh, that they're waiting on Jesus to, to, to prove, prove something and then I'll believe. A lot of people are, want evidence to know that what we do, faith, is just more than smoke and mirrors or, or some uh, Sunday disciplines to help us endure just kind of the trials of, of life. Like that criminal hanging next to Jesus, some of us, we, we desperately want facts for us to believe that there is more in this world than meets the eye. We want tangible proof. We want evidence to believe in Jesus. And that's the great struggle with faith because it's not all about facts. What we do is all about faith. It's all about faith. It's always been about faith. Martin Luther once said, God, our Father, has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. And some of us aren't living by faith or, or we've never put our faith in Jesus because we're, we're waiting on some kind of a definitive divine proof. And, and that's dangerous. Um, it, is a, it is a slippery slope uh, for us to believe that a man who came for us, who lived for us, who died for us, and who conquered death for us has to prove anything to us. He doesn't have to prove anything to us. The people have always wanted Jesus to prove it. In fact, in the, in the book of Matthew, a, a, another uh, book about the life and ministry in, uh, of Jesus, Jesus gets uh, approached by someone, and, and this person basically tells Jesus, like, hey, perform a miracle. Like, I, I, I want to believe you are who you say you are, so prove your authority. Go on, do, it, do a trick, and then I'll believe. And here's what Jesus says. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus says, if you want proof of, of, of my existence, the only proof you're going to, to get that I am who I say am is the resurrection. The, 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 the proof that you need is, is me conquering death. And, and people like you and I, we weren't in the garden that day when the tomb was rolled. We weren't there to actually see Jesus walk out of the grave. And so we're never going to get the fact we want. But we always have the faith we need. And it's all about his death and resurrection. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then some of us, we, we have to make a decision about that. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then it has to change how we live our lives. I think there's a lot of us like this first criminal that, that just think, you know what, Jesus, if you can prove it, then I'll believe. But there's a second criminal next to Jesus. And his unlikely story is going to highlight that spiritual truth I referenced earlier. And, it's, and like I said, it's one that some of us cling to. But, but what happens next, some of us are, well, we won't say it out loud. We won't jot it down in our notes. But some of us are going to think, well, that's just not fair. But what happens next, it shows us everything about how faith and forgiveness work. Luke tells us that the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The other thief, in the process of dying, this deathbed miracle, he seems to have reached some point of truth in his life that he's never reached before. In just few words, he sees that Jesus is innocent, that he's sinless. He sees that Jesus is facing a punishment he didn't deserve. While he makes it clear to himself, the people listening, Jesus, the criminal next to him, that he says, I get it, I'm receiving the punishment I rightfully deserve. He knows that he deserves death because of his actions. But he also realizes, and maybe you gotta keep in mind, maybe what helped move this man to faith is because he's seeing how well Jesus is loving people even when he's suffering. He knows what he's guilty of. He knows where his afterlife's going. And he looks at Jesus and says, you don't deserve this at all. There's something different about you and remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just this one moment in time, this this one piece of history is gonna teach us so much about how faith and forgiveness work. In this one moment that this man who's hanging next to Jesus, he realizes who he's been. He's guilty, he's sinful. He realizes who Jesus is. He's pure, he's sinless. And he begs Jesus, take me with you. I wanna be in your kingdom. He asks Jesus, please take me with you. He knows he's at rock bottom. He's minutes away from the end of his life. If he has any hope left whatsoever, he knows that hope is found in Jesus alone. And, and what Jesus says next, Jesus' response, it has ruffled the feathers of all the good boys and girls for over 2,000 years. And some people think this just isn't fair. Jesus replied to the criminal, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. The man says, Jesus, I get it. You're, you're sinless. You don't deserve this. I'm guilty. I deserve this. Please remember me. I want to be a part of your kingdom. And Jesus says, don't worry. Today, you're going to be with me in heaven. And there's a lot of people who hate this. There's a lot of people who say, this isn't fair. The, the, the man on his deathbed, he, he gets a chance at grace and all of a sudden he's forgiven of all the bad things he's done. Just like that, Jesus can offer forgiveness and grace and a hope in eternity in heaven. That's not fair. Some people would say, look, he's finally this man. He's terrible. It's what's wrong with, with that generation. They'll say, that's what's wrong with this town. The, the man is finally facing the punishment for all of his crimes. He's getting what he deserves. He's lived a life of sin. On the way out of his world, he he just says this one thing to Jesus and Jesus has the power and authority to say, you've been forgiven of everything and today you're gonna be with me in paradise. There are a lot of people who will say, that is not fair. And let's be clear, grace is not fair. Thank God, grace is not fair. That's a great thing. That grace isn't fair. Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you, ta- you can't take credit for this because we, we all know someone who wants to. It is a gift from God. God saved you by his grace. In, this, in that moment you believed, you're saved. And there's nothing you can do to take credit for it. It is quite simply a gift from God. Saving is all God's idea. Saving is all his work. All we have to do is trust him enough to do it. Grace is God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd go around bragging about all we've done, right? We'd forget about how good God is. But the reality is we can't do anything to earn the depth of grace that that we need to save us from the depths of hell. It's a gift from God. 
And a lot of people don't like it. They're like, no, you, he should have had to get down off the cross and, and, and do all these things. Well, the criminal's not getting off the cross and the criminal on the cross who's now going to heaven, right? It's always bothered a, a lot of people, a lot of religions, a lot of good boys and girls are proud of the favor they think they've earned from God. That's not the way it works. Because what did the criminal do? He didn't get off the cross and do a darn thing. But because of his belief in Jesus, because of, of, of grace by faith, he's got a seat in heaven. What, what did he do to, to straighten out his crooked, wretched life? Nothing. But by faith and through grace, Jesus tells this man that he will be with him in paradise. Now, a lot of the Bible was obviously, is not, well, none of the Bible is written, written in English originally. And then there's a lot of words in, in the Greek and, and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, which have a lot of deep meaning, which sometimes English translations struggle to attach. And, and we, we never highlight anything like that at this church to be like, oh, look, he must have went to Bible college because um, he can't do math and he knows Hebrew or Greek. No, no, that's not, that's, that, that is true. Let's be clear about that. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, we, we highlight certain things when it allows us to see the real intent and meaning uh, of Scripture. And so the word, when, when Jesus tells this, this criminal, when he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, this idea of paradise, it's, it's not what you're, you're thinking. It's, it's not Rehoboth, it's not Deep Creek, it's not Camden Yards, right? It's not any island or resort that, that you are thinking of when you'd be like, oh, that's paradise, that's, that's bliss, that's utopia. It's, it's, it's not any vacation you've been on. You see, when Jesus tells this criminal that, that today you'll be with me in paradise, the word that Jesus uses for paradise, uh, it actually means walled garden. Uh, so what Jesus is saying is, today you'll be with me in my walled garden, right? And some of us were like, oh, <laughs> I actually liked it more when we just understood it. Stop talking, Josh, um, right? But, but, but here, the, 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 it's so much more meaningful when you, when you understand that when Jesus basically says, today you'll be with me in paradise, today you'll be with me in my wall garden. Because in, in that day and age, when a king wanted to deeply honor someone, they would invite them into this very luxurious area of their home called the inner garden. And it was, it was a beautiful private spot. I mean, whatever you're imagining, it's a hundred times better than that. And it'd be right at the center of their court. And kings would invite someone into that kind of private area, into their walled garden, into their paradise, uh, to, to walk with them as their friend, to share time with them as their companion. So, so get this, when Jesus tells that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise, he's doing more than just telling this, this thief, this criminal that, hey, when you die, you'll end up in heaven, not hell. It's, that's, there's so much more that Jesus is communicating here because when Jesus tells this criminal, today you'll be with me in paradise, he, he's saying, when this life is over, you're not gonna be the criminal on the cross. You're not gonna be what you've always been. When this life is over, because of grace through faith, you're gonna commune with me. You're going to be honored. You're going to be accepted. You're gonna have this companionship with me, the savior of the world forever. It's just, it's, it's beautiful, what, what Jesus is saying, and how offended would some of the people be that are just like, how, we are trying to punish him, and by faith, he's now rewarded? People, their minds would have been blown, but despite what this criminal, what his life had been like, it's this life of, of shame and regret and mistakes, simply because of his faith, he will now experience honor in heaven because of God's grace through faith in Jesus. There'd be so many people there that would witness this and say, that's not fair, and 2,000 years later, they're right. Grace isn't fair. 
thank God, by faith, that grace isn't fair. We all have a chance to get what we don't deserve and couldn't earn. Jesus paid the penalty and, and we get set free and end up better. Let me close with this story. Uh, it's my favorite book other than the Bible. I didn't want somebody to be like, mm, glad he's leaving. Bible's second. Um, in my fa- favorite book other than the Bible, um, it's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, it's by a man named Brennan Manning. Um, if, you lie, if you even slightly enjoy reading, do me a favor, buy the book. Um, it will just change the way you look at yourself and, and Jesus and, the, and then the way you look at others. You'll, you'll love it, I promise. So it's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, and in the book, Brendan Manning, in The Ragamuffin Gospel, he, he writes a, a story about uh, Fiorello LaGuardia. Uh, Fiorello LaGuardia, he was the mayor of New York City um, during some of the worst days of the Great Depression and, and all of World War II. He was actually called by a lot of uh, uh, New Yorkers, they called him the Little Flower. Um, if you're a man, that is not the nickname you want. Um, but he was only five foot four. And he, he often wore like a, a big hat and a, and a carnation uh, on his shirt. And so they called him the little flower. But, but he was a colorful character. And, and a lot of people just absolutely loved him because he would, he would leave the office and ride the New York City fire trucks. Uh, when speakeasies were raided, um, he'd often go with the police officers. Um, he was known for taking entire orphanages to baseball games on his dime. Uh, even when, when the New York newspapers were on strike, uh, he would go on the radio and he'd read the Sunday funnies so the kids could listen and laugh. Um, just a kind of a remarkable guy, a lot of neat stories. He didn't do everything right in his life, let me be clear, but, but, but there's a lot of people who really loved him and respected him. And on one bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at, at this night court, and this night court served the, the city's poorest area. And so LaGuardia, he actually dismissed the judge for the evening and, and he took a seat on the bench as the judge himself. And within a few minutes, uh, a tattered uh, old woman was brought before him and, and she was charged with stealing a loaf of bread, just, just one loaf of bread. And she told LaGuardia that her, her daughter's husband uh, had deserted her. Uh, her daughter was, was really sick and she said her two grandchildren were starving. That's why she only stole one loaf of bread. She didn't want to commit the crime, but she had to feed the kids. So a lot of us would, would understand that, but the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen, uh, he refused to drop the charges. He wanted to make an example of her in front of LaGuardia and, and all of New York. And uh, so he actually said, it's a, Honor, it's a, it's, it's a real bad neighborhood. This type of stuff happens all the time. I don't care about her sob story. This woman needs to be punished so that way we can teach a lesson around here. And LaGuardia, Brennan writes, sighed. And he, he turned to the, to the poor woman and, and said, I, I've got to punish you. I have to. The law makes no exceptions. This is you know, 1935, and he tells her, you can either pay $10 now, and we'll write you up, or you can spend 10 days in jail. But even as he's, he's saying this, he was, he was reaching into his, his pocket. Uh, LaGuardia pulled out a $10 bill and, and he tossed it in, in his, his famous sombrero he always wore. And here's what he said. He said, here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to find everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. And he says, Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. So the following day in the New York City newspaper reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being contributed 
by the red-faced grocery store owner. <laughs> While some seven, 70 petty criminals, people of traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, uh, they gave the mayor a standing ovation. And that's grace. That's, that's just a, a, a glimpse at what we get with God. It's just this glimpse of the amazing grace that Jesus offers us no matter who we are, what we've done, or, or, or what we've been. He, he paid the penalty for us so that way you and I, by faith, we have paradise. And I don't know everything you've done wrong. I, I've lost track of all the things I've done wrong, but, but, but thank God we're covered by grace if we want to. And if a dying thief can ask Jesus to remember him, and he says, surely you'll be with me in paradise no matter what you've done. We have to understand if we just cry out to God, he will save us and, and invites us into that paradise, into that walled garden. It's not just about getting a seat in heaven. It's about, and we get honor there. We get to be with Jesus. But it's only this gift that, that, that we receive uh, through faith. And then and by faith, every single moment of every single day, you and I, we have grace upon grace upon grace. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you are a, a just God and a, a, a loving God, and, but you've made it to where grace isn't fair. All of us uh, before us, we, we, we have the, the choice and the opportunity to, to, to stand before you on the day of judgment and either try to impress you with everything we've done, make excuses for reasons we've never decided about your son Jesus or uh, to stand in front of you and, and to know we are covered by perfection. Our, everything we've done wrong was nailed to the cross. Jesus paid the penalty so we don't have to. God, allow us to see that this idea of faith, it's not just about one day getting to heaven. It's, it's about even communing with you now. This world is, is dark and it's, it's fallen, but your spirit is with us and, and we can get to know you. We can, we can dwell with you now on our way to paradise. God, I'm thankful for, for a story that just so clearly highlights that this grace isn't fair. Forgive us for thinking we could ever earn it. Maybe knock us upside the head when we, we don't realize how much we need it. We could never be perfect on our own, so thank you for sending Jesus to be our perfection. It's who we honor and it's who we worship. Because a love like that, you came for us. How can we not just give our life to it? It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.